Welcome to the party, pals. I'm Phil Gawthorne, action movie screenwriter. And I'm Liam Billingham, movie podcaster. And together we host Die Hard on a Blank, a podcast from Sugar23 that explores the influence of Die Hard on action cinema. In each episode, we'll talk about one major action movie that was released after Die Hard. Now, some of these movies take place on a bus. On a boat. Or even a roadhouse. Uh, sure. The point is, these are action movies that couldn't exist without Die Hard, and its DNA is everywhere. Die Hard on a Blank is a celebration of action movies and a deep dive into the ways that Die Hard shaped the action genre. So if you're a casual fan or an action movie Die Hard. Ooh, very nice. Then Die Hard on a Blank is for you. Yes, you personally. Our first two episodes, which are all about the original 1988 masterpiece Die Hard, drop December 21st, because Die Hard is a Christmas movie, wherever you get your podcasts. Phil, do the line. Now we have a podcast. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. Hey everybody, you're listening to uh, Uber Busters, the podcast that deals with an entire director's oeuvre one episode at a time. I'm George Fragopoulos. Uh, please, as usual, rate and review and subscribe uh, wherever possible. And also in the spirit of this episode, uh, John Cassavetes' husbands, uh, make sure to give us five stars, but please do write in the review comments, terrible, you're awful, where's the passion? Uh, and when you, um, if you've seen Husbands, that makes total and complete sense. And if you listen to this episode, that also will make uh, total and complete sense because uh, Ben Gazar is an absolute fucking lunatic in this episode. But we love him. We love him for it. Uh, and that's about it. So thanks for listening. And uh, again, this is goes this goes out to all of our one fan. Thank you. I'm Liam Billingham. I'm George Fragopoulos. And this is Uber Busters. This should be our intro music. Why am I only hearing one? Oh, because it's mono. Yeah. Me too. I'm a professional media maker. You have mono? Stay away. I got it from... I don't fucking know. <laughs> uh, welcome to Uber Busters, the show where we talk good movies like they're bad movies. At George, least that's the idea. George, how you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. I've, I've been so. To, I've it's been, been a, a tough couple days. Method podcasting. So yeah. I've been dr- I've been just drinking and raging for we the last seventy two hours. We have been drinking to prepare for, this. for four days, and actually, George, I wanted to keep the buzz going. Oh boy, here we go. So I this is got a surprise, us, folks. I don't I know. Got, what, I don't know what's happening. I got us some some hard <laughs> beverages. <laughs> Oh well, I could have two, also done two. this. Wait, one of these uh, fell on the floor. So should we? Let's open. What? Let's. Uh, we let's, should do it carefully. Yeah, hang on. Yeah, let's just. All right, so mine's good. Uh, okay, so these are beers. Let's do it. These are beers. Cheers to this Budweiser to the, to can. The, to the ghosts of all of these guys, they're all dead, right? I realized that watching the movie. Oh, that's depressing. We should probably talk about why we've been. Um, oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, alcohol. that's good. Canada. I mean, that's seltzer. The, yeah. <sighs> terrible! You're terrible. You're terrible. No passion. Uh, we'll, be, um, we'll get to that line later. So, in the movie. Uh, so husbands, nineteen. We're talking about the film Husbands, directed by John Cassavetes, <laughs> the <laughs> Golden should, Greek. Which you should know if, if you. Hey, baby, to any, it's your Golden Greek. Any of the previous episodes? Yeah, we're uh, we're on a Cassavetes kick. Um, this is how this whole thing got started. This this terrible idea is it because is. we we talked about this movie. You should briefly maybe talk about your man crush. Uh, when it comes to this film, 
So yeah, I did not see this movie before seeing the infamous Dick Cavett interview five or six years ago, which then I thought was hilarious. And then recently, and then saw the film for the first time at BAM in the movie theater. It's the only John Cassavetes film I've seen on the big screen. Like a year ago? Year and a half. Summer of 20... Trump was not in office. Oh, summer so of summer. 2016. Yeah, it was... It was a better so summer. So much hope in the air. A lot of yeah, there was a lot going on. Um, so yeah, um, and then I rewatched. I saw the film. Was pretty blown away by it. Actually, kept the ticket stub, which is not something I. I'm not nostalgic in that way, but I have the ticket stub. I still have my, all film. my Star Wars ticket stubs from you, the re-releases. Oof. Oh. Yeah, I don't know if that's great. I don't to be honest on this podcast, so I'm just trying. No, to we be, should trying be. To be myself. No, it's good. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want you to not be you. Um, and then watched the Dick Cavett interview again and was, um, was simultaneously found it hilarious and really disturbing in our age of um, puffed up, toxic masculinity. And specifically with this movie, because yeah. I think there's a simultaneous, um, well, I'd like to hope there's a simultaneous self-awareness, self-aware quality to what they're doing, but clearly a lot of joy in what they're doing in the debauchery and actually i was looking at the metrograph website recently which is a theater here in new york and this is one of their essential films this is their john cassavetes essential film that they screen with cassavetes and there's a line about it being um, a line between performance and reality which is something we can talk about Um, and especially like later later let's say from here on out there's an element of performance being a part of every John Cassavetes movie with I don't know about Minnie and Moskowitz but Killing of a Chinese Bookie has a kind of self-awareness with him being a club manager and opening night has Gazzara, Ben, I mean, ben Gazzara yeah. who's you know in Husbands and right is absolutely but this is this is also interesting because this is the first time Cassavetes directed himself on film yeah I realize this is the first time besides his shadowy it, appearance in Shadows right that we were nice pun there. Thank you. I am. Um, I'm. I'm, I'm literate. Shadow I got to bed about two two thirty, but that's because I was carousing. Well, yeah, it's because we were just we were on that flight coming back from London, right? So maybe oh, we should be. Beer. Oh, so so good. So at, I'm very interested in, the in this movie. So we maybe we should begin with the tagline: a comedy about life, death, and freedom. So before you jump in there. Oh, sorry. I'm I, I wanted really to quickly. say this. Slow. Please. Down. Just please. Um. This was the first John Cassavetes that movie that I started watching that I did not dread when I pressed play. I was even looking b- you mean even forward before? to rewatching it. Oh, to rewatching it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But yes, uh, a comedy, which I circled, <laughs> about life, death, and freedom. So this is a comedy, kind of like how this podcast is a comedy podcast. You mean it's not funny? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So Just well, actually, so did you at any point laugh? Uh, yes. There were there were some I moments laughed. of laughter. I yeah, laughed. Me too. Um, but I was never comfortable with my laughter, except, well, I don't know if that's true. That's not true. I, I th- find Peter Falk generally hilarious. Yeah, there's some scenes which were just the three of them where they're just being um, kind of friendly to one another. And they're like slapping each other on the back and like running through New York City. Like right now on yeah. our TV. We have the film running in the background. Or where they're doing that kind of ridiculous, you know, they're, uh, well, obviously we should just quickly kind of um, go through the plot or we will go through the plot. But when they're doing these kind of like feats of strength where they're playing basketball or like swimming in the pool and it's so yes, absurd and it's exactly. so stupid. And those moments are absurd and hilarious in that kind of sense. So the movie is about four friends. And we should say there's four friends because Ooh, although the ghost there are three of characters that make up the film, um, uh, it's a movie about four people, one of whom who's almost entirely absent. Um 
the it's about th- four three friends whose fourth friend st- uh, st- uh, Stephen Stewart Stewart, uh, so Stewart. G- Gus's Casavetes yeah th- we have Gus Harry, Harry and Archie. Archie though if you pay close attention you can hear John Casavetes calling Ben Gazzara Ben throughout really yeah <laughs> that is a amazing. few times I you hear him be like that. hey Ben and you're like come on man but um it's yeah they're, they're three friends Archie Gus and Harry and they're the death of their friend Stewart. Sends them on a week-long binge-drinking sort of tangent with intermixed with sports and womanizing. And, womanizing. and, and gambling. Uh, gambling and gotta have gambling horrible domestic uh, abuse and physical and emotional Because it's a Casabetti's film. There has to be violence against women. Um, um, so the film begins with these still shots of their lives together, the four friends of what seems to be like a family kind of it's family gathering. gathering. There's sound effects in the background. It's interesting that the first images you see in a movie called Husbands are the children and the yes. wives. Yeah. And gradually it builds. So you see pictures of the wives. You see Jenna Rallin's figures is, is one of the figures. Um, the pictures. But... Um, and there, it's really interesting it, because... Sorry. In, uh, one of the int- the interesting photos or a series of, of sequences is them with their shirts off kind of posing. With, mu- with almost muscle, like all making of muscle the photos arms. of them making muscle Yeah. Arms. Which also begins, and we'll talk about this too, kind of the homoeroticism in this film, which is just, it's saturated. Yeah, very, it's homoeroticism. a interesting movie to look through the Homosociality, to use a fancy word. Queer, don't throw your credentials at me. Um, it's sort of a queer element. Um, before we jump in, I, I, I read a little bit of, um, we're going to chat a little bit about, George has a book report later in the episode, but <laughs> I read a little bit Stay of uh, Ray Carney's Cassavetes on Cassavetes interview on his website. Ray Carney's a BU professor and kind of a firebrand, a little controversial. And um, he said that, that they, they took six months to shoot this movie, which is a crazy amount of time. That is and a because of, of the success of Faces, he was given uh, a d- definite distribution deal and picture, lo- like uh, Final Cut. But didn't he also make this so he can get money to finish Faces? Yeah, he yeah, took the so initial 25 grand to, to for two movies, one of which never got made, about Mexican immigrants. Huh, yeah, I, I don't th- remember he that. spent ten years on it. Didn't actually want to make, but packaged it to make the money. Wow! To finish faces. So, um, in the good old days when twenty five grand could get you a film. Yeah, now it only can get you a podcast. One a of podcast those. One of those uh, red digital c- cameras. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, the there's this photo montage of the muscles. Very repetitive. Oh wait, can I also say one more thing about the original casting? Did you? Yes, read that Anthony Quinn and Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin. That's who the other one was. Should have been. They didn't like each other. Film. Very different film. Not, I'm not sure it would have been as good of a film. I think that those two guys w- are probably a little too abrasive. I agree. For this film to really click. So the film begins with these, again, as we said, these still shots of this family gathering. And then it quickly cuts after maybe about two or three minutes of these shots to the funeral. A Stewart's funeral. funeral Stewart's yeah. funeral. Stewart is the one, the fourth character that sort of hangs over the film. Um, and we watch them. It's very, very... So first, like... There's a very uh, this the the little of the film takes place in suburbia, but the scenes that do take place in suburbia are dead on suburbia. Yes, like uh, this funeral is everyone's in a peacoat, uh, big black cars. Which, I mean, I didn't grow up in Port Washington where this was filmed, but I mean that's the place that I grew up. There's a really great divide between the Port Washington, Long Island stuff, and the city stuff, and then the eventual London stuff. But it feels like such it does. a suburban funeral those final shots too which obviously we'll get to but when they return yeah. to suburbia are really kind of soul crushing 
the it's winter the gardens are like dead right it's very very uh fitting for where this kind of film ends up so it opens with them sort of get uh they, they arrive at the funeral they seem to be late to the funeral possibly and they have an well, old Stuart ain't going anywhere am i right they, yeah they have an old <laughs> De- dead people don't move <laughs> they um they dead people stayed. don't move they a new collection there. of short stories coming from george fragopoulos <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds almost like the, the, what James Franco would call oh his, God. his next story. Don't collection. bring him up here. Um, Keep him outside. So they they arrive at the funeral with someone's mother. I don't think it's Stewart's someone's mother. mother. Is it Stewart's? I the first time I, I watched the film, but that doesn't make sense because why? she's super late. Why isn't she with Stewart's wife, who's already there? I mean, mm. it doesn't really matter. But what's interesting about this open scene is you have Ben Gazzara playing Harry, walking with who might be probably Stewart's mother. And Peter Falk and John Cassavetes walking behind them. And uh, right off the gate, I feel like Peter Falk comes off as the sort of nervous, <laughs> anxious member of the group. Um, ben Gazar actually comes off as the most responsible, sort of the most kind of on point. He's escorting the mom. Peter Falk is saying really kind of weird, troubling things. Existential stuff. Like Existential stuff. really humiliating Don't about truth. death. Yeah, is yeah. death humiliating? No, I thought he said. I thought he said only believe in truth. I thought he said lies will kill you. Yeah, but Cassavetti says don't believe truth. Oh. So there's I, this I'm, really self-indulgent conversation, and Ben Gazzara looks back at them. In a shot yeah. that quite doesn't match. And he's like, what the fuck? Are you guys doing? Are you guys doing? And they're smoking. Yeah, like, give, give, me like give me a cigarette. Give me a cigarette. Um, and so right off the bat. Oh, by the way, I've been working on my Peter Falk, and that's the best I could kind of come off the top of my head. Give me head. a cigarette. I can't. That's, that's a hard. That's not that's hard. Yeah, that's <laughs> not Peter Falk. <laughs> give, me, um, give me a cigarette. And you feel like right off the gate, um, after they attend this funeral, which is, you know, sort of a typical, there's these shots of them kind of cutting through the crowd walking up to the front of the funeral and they have a moment at the casket with the with the wife with the widow we should say and um we immediately cut to a car and then we get a sense of their dynamics and it feels to me and they're leaving the funeral they're leaving the funeral that sort of they view gus as the leader of the group like he's kind of like the midpoint between the two the other two in terms of kind of temperament who have a which is interesting because in a way if you were to watch the first 10 minutes of this film, and this is something that relates to faces, you might be convinced that John Cassavetti's character, Gus, Gus, mm-hmm. is the only decent or is probably the most upstanding, responsible leader kind of or like the, the leader of the group. He's tempering their feelings about each other. The film deconstructs that, though, because by the end, they're woof, all awful, woof, awful woof, human woof, beings. Woof. Um, so they're in the cab, and um, it doesn't ben take Gazzara, you long to figure out that they're all awful human beings. By the way, yeah, well, I mean, that's what's interesting is that there's moments of tenderness. Like Ben Gazzara, Ben Gazzara has his second to last scene in the movie is like a really, really yeah. beautiful, very short moment. Yeah. But um, they're in the cab, and and Peter Falk is like, "I didn't like that. F- I didn't like that funeral. Yeah. I didn't like it." And Ben Gazzara is ranting about something, and then he says, "I'm going to get very, very drunk." Yeah. I, like, I don't want to go home. I don't want to go home. I'm not going home. Yeah, I'm, going I'm going home. to get very, very drunk. And then we smash cut, and they're in New York City, and they are drunk, and they are outside, and they are just running around, being good. So Reminded me of the first scene of Shadows. Uh yeah. You know, just these guys on the street in New York, and what? Uh, I did love twelve years after. I, I did love the exterior shots of early it was 70s nice New York. to have exterior shots it was. of John Cassavetti's movie yeah. after fucking Faces. Yeah. Um, uh, and they're drunk and they're and they're and they're running around and then they're in the subway they're palling around. And I think they really Did you notice how clean the subway was? I'm like what the fuck very was this filmed in one of I our I had to new wonder if that was a uh, beautiful if subway that was the real subway it must have been. 
Uh, yeah, it seemed that way to me. Although, although it was odd that this that scene lasts like a good minute and there's no stops. Yeah, there's no stops, <laughs> and then and then they they make a decision to get off the train. So maybe it wasn't a real subway car because and a it was like, too we're clean. Stops away. Yeah, they go like two or three minutes without hitting a stop, and there's nobody else on that car, which obviously you could still do. But I don't know. It was like 1970s New York. Yeah. It's like this subway car should be a lot more grimy. Yeah. And Which so I'm all for, by the way. I love a good s- s- grimy subway car. No, it's definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's sure, a true New Yorker. But a New Yorker. Yeah. And so there's this sort of this brief scene by scene montage of them drunk. The next scene, they're running down the street and they're running to an athletic club. And a thought occurred to me at this moment. Well, wait, hold on. Because they have this really interesting conversation also about the past, the fact that they're no longer young in the subway car that's right so talking about like being 35 your legs go yeah and as a 35 year old i don't think that's true (laughs) i thought he said 30 but yeah no he says 35 35 you're right yeah um i looked it up uh falk is 43 yeah they're they're older than the characters gazara is 40 no but cassavetes was like 40 Right, but I think don't you don't you think in the film they're like in their mid thirties? No, I think they're supposed to be. They 40. are supposed to be in their forties. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. I think so. No way, are they in their mid thirties? If they're in their mid thirties, then like, those are the oldest. Dude, like, if they're our age, then like we're fucked. So we're taking a lot better care. We don't drink or smoke like they do. Though. Yeah, that's true. We don't. That's. I mean, I hope we don't. But they have this really interesting conversation. Is this a cry for help, John, George? It, it could I be. almost called you John. John. <laughs> John. John. Are we gonna, uh, method podcasting, man. That's where Ooh. it's at. Fuck. Terrible. You're terrible. Yeah, terrible. No passion. No passion. It's this scene right, it's here, right here. Wait, wait, hold on. But it's 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 a fascinating, also obviously, conversation that gets to a lot of what this film's about. About the fact that they they feel like they're growing older. They feel that everything's kind of left them behind. But also, Falk goes on this like ridiculous uh, tirade about all the sports he's like he loves. He's like basketball. I, I love basketball. No, he said he doesn't love basketball. Oh, that's right. It's base. He's like I love baseball. I love golf. I love, I love badminton. I love swimming. <laughs> it's really that's actually a really funny. It moment. is a funny moment. Yeah, yeah it's really funny. Um, Hence the comedy Which part. leads them to the uh, athletic club. Athletic club, and this was something. When they're running down the street. I, I thought of something I thought when I showed um, my wife the first episode of Mad Men. About thirty minutes into the first episode of Mad Men, she was like, "I can't tell any of these fucking guys apart. <laughs> uh, I don't know who they are. I don't remember who's who. I don't." And I think the subtext was like, "I don't care." Right. And I can understand that being the case here for the first few minutes of this movie. Like watching it, I feel like the first time you see it, particularly, it's like it's just three really obnoxious dudes. A little bit, like there's just a quality of being like, why do I at this point? Why do I care? What's well, funny you I should say that too understand because that impulse. we both agree that the first hour of this film is so sheer masterpiece compared to this. Well, compared, compared to the second to hour. the second hour, right? I mean, yeah, I mean it's woof. Yeah, watching this, it's funny too because. Again, rewatching this, I was surprised at how in how much I enjoyed the first hour because I remember at the it flies en- by. Yeah, at the end of the film, the first time I watched it, I was like, "I'm glad I saw this film. That I enjoyed a lot of it, but it's not something that like I would need to come back to." So I think that's where mm. we disagree on this. But then rewatching it, I was like, "Holy shit, this fucking film's amazing!" Yeah, the first hour is incredible, um, and then we see them playing, uh, running into the sports club. This is another moment where I was like, are these just a grown up versions of the guys in shadows? There's a quality of them being kind of like Dennis and I don't even remember the other guy's name, but um, that was that was like three weeks ago for me. Yeah. Way more. I don't remember what happened so yesterday. Months ago. Months it was ago. August. It was, yeah, it was right. Um, it was twenty. It was and then they play before the election. They play basketball, which I wrote basketball. I wrote the word basketball. Where the fuck, by the way, do they get all these sweatpants? 
Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Well, yeah, they they kind of end up in sweatpants. They're so working they're, out. When they're, you start they're working out hard. They prob they've been drinking for a, at least today, twenty four hours. It's been at this. Well, no, it has so it that been? we've been awake for thirty six hours or something like that. No, not at that point, because mm-hmm. that would mean that by the time they get to London, they've been awake for like four days. The timing, mm-hmm. the timing, the timing of this is interesting. It's a no. couple days. So maybe. Hmm. So wait, hold on. They, after the funeral, they go. They're on the subway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's the next morning. You're right. And then they, they go, go to play basketball. So it's been at least 24 hours. They play basketball. <laughs> Gazara at the, at the beginning is like running around in his uh, suit and in his uh, right. like, dress shoes trying to keep up with them. But, like, and then he's all of a sudden in sweats. Yeah, and then the scene cuts. They're in sweats. And then they take a swim in the pool. Right, they swim in the pool. Instead of horsing around in uh, the pool. Exactly. So you're Again, very homoerotic. This, and there's a, con- there's a conversation about competition. Oh. When they're sitting, when they're yeah. sort of playing these sports, and 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 uh, what's his name, uh, Peter Falk has the comment about how like what like he's really into competition, and Harry says like, like what's the point? What's the of point, point of competition? Yeah. And so there's sort of this like you get establishing these relationships. It's interesting. Like there's a, there's a real maybe this is like one of those interesting things with Cassavetes where like he's less into character being a a to- total picture and more like a state case of contradiction because Peter Falk earlier in the movie t- seems like a nervous kind of ninny. If that's a, a pro, I don't even know where that, I think my mom used to say that. No, I think ninny is the, ninny is I a, think the kids is, these days are, are they throwing, love the they term love ninny. ninny. <laughs> and then later <laughs> on, he's like very competitive and Peter Falk is, or sorry, Ben Gazzara is kind of like, what's the point of competition? But that does not stay consistent where with with where Ben Gazzara's character starts to go a little bit in this movie. That's interesting. But in what specific way? In well, terms he of like competition. Yeah. Well, he just becomes. So we should probably talk about the next scene the bar after scene. they go swimming, which is I think probably the best scene in the entire film, and also the first really uncomfortable scene. Uh, debatable, <laughs> but yeah. Um, <laughs> We then cut to this sort of like this kind of centerpiece or like the first sort of like if if this film has a um, or if any of Cassavetti's films have kind of like a um, what do you call it? Like a centerpiece or like, you know, sort of a big like a, it's like the equivalent of an action scene for a John Cassavetti's movies. There's a scene where they are very drunk. Surprisingly. Um, at, and so around we the table, are. we don't we know they're in a bar somewhere in probably in Midtown. With a group of people who, who are out of nowhere, who are appear out of nowhere that are there's older no, than them. There's no context, and they are the people um, around the table are they're going around the table. John, John Cassavetes, Ben Gazzara, and Peter Falk are going around the table and getting them to sing songs Correct. and then critiquing their performance of their songs. And I wrote down a note that I've already written down in relationship to this, which is no one drinks like they drink in a John Cassavetes <laughs> That's film. True. They're pounding beer. I got to believe they're doing some real drinking. <laughs> yeah. At least the beers are real. This is like, <laughs> this is like the darkest episode of American Idol you've ever seen. It's Yeah. So they're going around and they're all singing. People are singing like different songs. One woman sings, I dream of Jeannie with the light. Call back to faces. Oh, you have been practicing. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. you nailed much. that. Um, Can we just uh, end the podcast right here and now? Um, it's never going to be better than that. This is a very different movie when you watch it at home than when you watch it in the theater. In the theater, this scene felt endless and painful. At home, it was a little funny. It is a little bit funny. Yeah, there, there are those moments again because it's like so absurd. But the way the... So w- at some point, so they go around the table and they're kind of... Some people 
sing uh well or at least according to them and Pretty then well. and then they get to this one woman who's singing the older one the older woman the older woman and they just berate this woman and it begins with a guzar Terrible, ter- terrible, terrible, no passion. Terrible, no passion. I was getting flashbacks to grad school, by the way. It was oof, like, oh, reminds me of some classes I've been right in or been yelled at. Was ben, did you go to grad school with Ben Gazzara? <laughs> Which is weird, too. Uh, I like, took he him was from, like, I'm getting my MFA in writing. I took him from Melville, and he's, <laughs> and he's like, well, why are you teaching this class? It makes no fucking sense. Like, what do you have to say about Melville? And he was like, plenty. Plenty. Um, this is one of the, this is probably the first scene in the movie where you're like, there's something so monstrous. Because they all take turns berating this woman and yelling at and her. And everyone. And, and uh, Peter Falk tries to take his clothes off. Yeah, Peter Falk. He says something like, oh, sing better and I'll take my clothes off. And he does. He actually does take his clothes off. You don't really, you don't see anything, obviously, but he takes his clothes no, off. No, and it's very humiliating. They're yeah. so, but they're also, there's something so appealing on a basic level about, like, the behaving badly. Like, it's interesting how... I don't know. It's not. It's not. It's not appealing. And like a man, it'd be great to treat to, to treat people terribly. But there's also something a little. I don't know. Um, because they're bonding. Yeah, and just like there's 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 some. I mean, there's something appealing about like being drunk and acting goofy. But it crosses a it line crosses a because line. it's terrible behavior. Um, so like, th- this is why. I'm let me just have a big swig of this beer. <laughs> this is why. Oh, so Such good. a man. Yeah. This is why I feel like I dream of <laughs> genie. Wi- Wait, we gotta control this. Oh no, God, he's he's passed out. I'm gonna have, so, to, I'm gonna have to put Marty Marty Scorsese uh, on the mic, and he hasn't said anything. Hello! He hasn't said anything in four episodes. I, so well, he's tied up. You have a gag in his ball gag in his mouth. Um, Marty, Release get back the in the gimp. dungeon. Uh, so do you, these are the moments in the film where I'm like, is is he in fact? critiquing the shittiness of his own characters hmm i don't know then that might or just be, not like having that, fun at the risk of sounding like a, a, a d- the worst guy in your mfa program um james franco is there <laughs> is there some james, james franco loves this movie unironically <laughs> um is there something pr- powerful and provocative and not commenting on the behavior but by creating such a correct such a um, displaying it such us. a clear picture of like toxic behavior is that a comment on the behavior and i think that this is something to think about when we talk about the cassavetes and pragmatism yes in the the book that you're that you're going to book report that we should let's we let's get there we should weave it into but i think we should get to the plot of this film i feel like carney uh, we're not discussing the plot i feel like carney once we get through it i feel like this where carney and i am in our agreement there's a lot in the book that i'm in agreement with but where he he suggests that these films aren't um, didactic and they're not obviously attempting to uh, like twist your arm in very specific ways. That's interesting because I think that there's a a scene in this movie that is incredibly didactic, and I'm gonna I wonder if you know which scene I'm talking. I about. I do not. Okay, but well, I can't we'll wait get to get there. there. So then we remind get, me if I don't mention it because I didn't take a note about it. So then it. we get to my favorite scene actually, which is the bathroom scene, and then so it cuts, amazing scene. They're in the bathroom. It's it's Cassavetes and Falk. They're in the stall. Uh, Falk Archie is puking his brains out. Why is he puking? I wonder why. No. Oh, like seriously, why is he puking? Uh, cause, I don't know. So there's a. I don't want to jump on your thing, but please do. There's a interview with Cassavetes mm-hmm. in which he's. Hang on. <laughs> is that beer coming back up? <laughs> Just gassy. There's a scene in. Um, I should have belched on the mic and not commented on it. There's a scene in the movie. We're gonna run out of seltzers. There's a interview with Cassavetes. Don't you mean Miller Lite? I mean, 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. Should we? Okay. There's a scene. You can always edit that out. There's an interview where John Cassavetti says they're not puking because they're drunk. They're puking from grief. Well, deep. And there were huge walkouts when this movie premiered. Because of that? Because of, they walked out during this scene. Question. Do you think, I mean. Hang on. Let me just get some more Miller Lite. At some point. <laughs> <laughs> just gonna continue. I'm sorry. I'm gonna, I have to cut all this out. This is this is my vomit <laughs> scene. At some point, I was like, "Huh? Are we also supposed to assume that they've taken copious amounts of drugs, and that hasn't been?" I don't know. Like th- that wouldn't have been something that he wouldn't have. No, he shied I away think from. that they're they're that. So that's an interesting thing to think about in relation to them as, um, men in the time that they live, because I think that they're probably fundamentally conservative guys who probably like would have vote voted like pro maximum penalty <laughs> for like pro maximum the, for, yeah, like hey do you vote pro maximum no but I, what i mean when i ballot? say that is i think Definitely. i think that these are guys that would probably be like disgusted by uh these drug use but like uh, exempt themselves from that like that guy in um too late blues that thug in the bar yeah oh like, this oh, these yeah. musicians are out there doing needles and heroin um it's terrible so they have this interest really really fascinating conversation it's it's I, I brought the full uh brunt of my <laughs> philosophical knowledge on this and i wrote oh sickness unto death because they have this really interesting conversation so basically Falk pukes and cassavetes is revolted and there's this really great scene where he's like obviously talking about the vomit, but he's like, there, there, it's on your foot, it's on your foot. But it just kind of reminded me, it was just kind of for me a kind of really interesting confrontation with uh, mortality. That there's this kind of like sense. Yes, which, he becomes like, very upset. Yeah, they're really, I mean, they're watching like their bodies disintegrate in the form of like them being sick in the stall. From- and like abuse yeah but then there's also all like these like these really interesting kind of conversations like they keep talking about how bad they smell for a good like half hour of this film yeah it's a big part of the movie so it's this re- i read it as this really kind of interesting critique of their body bodily disintegration so like there's interesting all, there's all this like talk of like oh i can't i'm not the same athlete i was like 20 years ago oh like i fu- i stink like a fucking corpse i mean they don't say like a fucking corpse there's also a masculine thing so they're yeah they're, they're, they're like out of control 40. they're losing yeah my my father was probably born around the same time as these guys, hard drinker, and probably of a culture of people that uh, were like, well, I'll work out and it's fine. I don't have to take care. Of it. I can just work. I can sweat it out playing basketball yeah. or swimming or whatever the case might be. Um, this is an interesting scene because the bathroom scene, because it sets up an interesting dynamic where you have Cassavetes uh, playing. You've Gus and Cassavetes. I'm not referring to their character names. Gus and Harry. Gus and. Archie, this uh, oof. Archie Peter Falk and Be- uh, John Cassavetes having a moment and lingering outside like a goddamn animal yeah, yeah, yeah. is Ben Gazzara, and you feel this is like the first time you have beast. a sense of like a bro triangle. Oh yeah, because he walks in and he's like, "You, you guys talking about me?" Yeah, it, what like, do you I guys? Know you guys have yeah, secrets. Yeah, what are you doing? And he becomes very angry. And it's interesting how coming back to the scene before, there's a moment in the earlier scene where there's a threat of violence. Someone throws a glass. Yeah, and yeah. Ben Gazzara is very quick to be like, "There's not going to be any violence right. here." He shuts it down. Which is an interesting thing to consider when we're about three scenes later yeah, in the film. Yeah, that's a good point. But there's a there's an establishment of Ben Gazzara as kind of a jealous, kind of petty, and very, very um, kind of threatened by... The two of them. The two of them and their relationship. And there's a moment in the film where... Uh, and this is really tough. Peter, It's actually on screen right now. Peter Falk goes like, you fawn over your wife. You, you, you go to your job, whatever. And then he says to Ben Gazzara, uh, Harry, you're a phony. 
and he loses his mind. Uh, ben Gazzara loses his mind. He says the worst thing to be called is a phony. Yeah. And you have to wonder... And John Cassavetes would say that he had no interest in narrative, but I think all of his narrative beats impulsively come from character, mm -hmm. and he doesn't embed story in that. But you have to wonder that that how much that moment springboards the rest of the the film because yeah. uh, Ben uh, Ben Gazzara's character ends the film in a very very different place than the other two men. Totally. And do you want to literally? Yeah. And and we also like briefly before we started recording talked about again not just like the homoeroticism of the film, but like doing a kind of or suggesting like a queer kind of reading of these characters. Excuse me. In the sense that so it's, it's you said, you this said, lager we're drinking <laughs> is just making us gassy. <laughs> you said that like so Gazara it, it might be like a closeted gay man. And there's an interesting moment too in this just the uh, next scene. The next scene, right, where he turns to them and he's like, Oh, I love you guys. It's like and at some point I just wrote it, even I think before the scene I was like, Wow, these guys love each other. They're like constantly grabbing each other. Very touchy. They're t yeah, they're like they're it's just it's it's such a fascinating film in terms of uh the way you can read it against their kind of like traditional masculine roles and and in that in the scene that follows the bathroom scene where they're back in the bar and they sort of reconciled a little bit gazara goes and makes a phone call and then smashes the window of the phone booth that he's in and that's like um, first scene violent for students where he's violent but also he has a line where he says he puts his arm around uh, Falk and he puts his arm around uh, Cassavetes and he says, you know, guys, aside from sex, which my wife is very yes, good at, yes. I like you guys better. I like you guys better. Yeah. Which and is an amazing line. It may seem line. incredibly obvious, but it's 1970s and these are very, very hetero men. Yeah. Playing heteronormative. Heteronormative men uh, playing these characters. It might not be subtle. I didn't pick it up the first time. I think Harry is... Ben Gazzara's character is a is is a closeted gay man. Yeah. Might not even know it, but there's something he's repressed in like a very. I don't want to assign that because I don't. It's it, you it, want it, to overdetermine it. I also don't want to determine. I also don't want to like equate like his inherent violence with like or that that idea that he's yeah. violent or whatever with that. But there's something in his heteronormativity that does not sit well with him, and I think it could be that he's closeted. He's a closeted gay man. Yeah. And then in the next scene, which is back in Port Washington, when Harry goes back to his house, um, I think to go to work, to get changed to go to work, he has a line with his wife where he talks about being in a closet. A closet. I just don't want to be in the closet. Yeah, which seems incredibly obvious. But like, what else could that... I don't know what else it could refer to. It's not. He's not being poetic. This isn't a film of poetic language, really. Uh well I I mean I, it's not a film of poetic language well it doesn't what I mean to say is that it's it's not like he's being metaphorical in that oh, moment uh, or being well it's funny you should say that too because again there's like so many and we and this is okay so the, uh, going back to the Carney book this is another issue I have with the Carney book and this has come up before in our podcast this where it's not the time for the book report <laughs> sorry, George sorry 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 where there's so much dialogue is there any more beer <laughs> so much I no but I do have more lacroix <laughs> do you yeah you mean. Miller Pomple Moose, no. Uh, ooh. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Miller Pomple High Life, uh, the champagne of beers. This episode uh, oh, brought to you by Lacroix, the champagne of seltzer. Champagne of seltzer. <laughs> there is, oh, the Carney book, where so much of the language, yeah, so much of the language reads as if it's inflected by a certain kind of fifties, sixties existentialism. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which also, I guess, if you were doing that. Nah. <laughs> Because you were trying to maybe uh, reference, I don't know, like film noir? Or yeah, well, I don't know what I was referencing, except that there's like a clipped quality to the language. Like and all Fox is like, oh, in the bathroom scene, it's not the sickness. I can live with that. 
So is that like a nausea? Yeah, you know, or like a, a, a Beckett kind of thing. Mm. Where again, in the beginning, where they're talking about the funeral or Stupid's funeral, Fox says something along the lines of, "Oh, it's so humiliating to be dead." You, there, there's these really that's a very uh, yeah yeah that it, has an absurd quality. Very, yeah, kind of. there's this kind of like absurd absurd quality to it, and I think that's also where the Carnival kind of fails because I feel like the uh, not book report time historical tradition from which he's drawing from is kind of off interesting interesting i really want to hear more about that i'm curious um i'm wondering if well, no my book report podcast the port watch welcome to george's george report the george report it really <gasps> hurt it re- i would listen to that to the george podcast. report the george report can um, i just b- by the way also briefly say that i walked by a stoop here in the slope and i saw somebody who had left out a copy of um uh that old magazine george by I don't know John that Kennedy Jr. Oh, George. Yes, I do remember. <laughs> it ran them. for maybe like six issues back in the early nineties. And you know who was on the cover? It was amazing. Or not on the cover uh, himself, but there was an article in there about on by written by Norman Mail. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, does that date itself? That really does. So they go back to Harry's house because He's uh, gonna go to work. They've decided to oh, go yeah, back yeah. to work. They've decided yes. to go at the end of the scene in the bar, they're like, Oh, let's, let's go back to work. Let's, back let's, to work. let's 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 like go. Let's you're gonna go to work. And so this is when it's revealed that that uh Cassavetes is a dentist. I and, knew it from the beginning, I could tell. And uh, and Ben Gazar is an architect. It looks like he might be an architect. It's a drafting table. Man. There's a but uh, I don't know. It's never it's made drafting clear. Drafting business plans. It's drafting business plans. Um so they go back to um Port Washington. And um, they Harry goes into his house and his mother-in-law is there and he doesn't know where his wife is. And he's he looking for his passport. Looking for his passport. Well, he's not yet. Oh, correct. So what happens yeah. is they go back to the house in a green cab. So why and he's like, ten gonna... minutes. I'm just we're gonna get on the we're gonna get on the Amtrak or whatever the the and we're gonna head back to the city. It's gonna be great. And what happens is he doesn't see his wife. He has a brief conversation with his mother about how he's done nothing wrong essentially and then he comes outside and he sees peter falk and john cassavetti sitting there and he has a moment where he decides he's going to you can tell he's like i'm leaving because i love these men more than i love my Uh, wife that's a good reading of it yeah Yeah. i mean it took me i didn't rewatch it but i kind of paused i watched i was like what was that moment about it's about him realizing well the initial subtext though is that they're kind of looking at him in a shameful sort of way (laughs) right Good guy. Man. Liam, I was only joking about us raging during this podcast. Yeah, it seems I, like you well, took it seriously. It's so much Miller Lite. It seems like it's... <laughs> Welcome to Liam's last podcast. Does he <laughs> die slowly? It's the final episode of this show. Yeah. Although what, what he'll do for ratings is, I mean, it's commendable. I'm wasted. So he, Ratings. So <laughs> Ratings. So they... Yeah, the, I guess the initial... the the um, Not the subtext, but just it's... A, at least the way I read the scene is that they're looking at him in a kind of shameful way of like, oh, why don't you confront your wife? Because they're or also before the ha- they go into the house. Don't they, they you say think something they to want him? him to confront his wife? Don't they say something to him about like, oh, you're... Or maybe I'm just thinking about this, the previous scene where at the, at the bar about like his Well, they do, kind of, some th- they do kind of emasculate him. Yeah, because... Oh, okay, because when they're walking up to the house and it's just Cassavetes and Falk, they say something along the lines of like, oh, when I'm talking to my woman, I just lay down the law. Yeah, that's off. That's an yeah. awful. Yeah. So, th- so I, I thought maybe th- you there was this the context was like, oh, we told him like go in there like just say like, hey, I'm out fucking raging. Yeah, that's right. Because they anything. think he sort of like fawns over her and doesn't. 
you know, he's a little too um, concerned with what she thinks. So the, he walks out, he sees them again, and then he walks back in. And then she, the wife, is at the breakfast table with uh, the mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And this is where, uh, yeah, this is where it gets kind of awful. It gets awful because, um, in a way... It's, when he goes for his I think passport. he's emasculated a little bit because so there's a couple interesting things. Once there's a scene where he goes outside to leave to go to work, sees them, goes back inside, and his wife is there. Um, and there's also a moment uh, where he ties his tie without thinking about it. Like he just kind of does it without any like, and it's a little later, but it speaks to me. This character is like this is the repressed conformist product of a like 50s yeah. 60s upbringing. That's a good point. Um. This is not the life he wanted. Like going just through the motions. Exactly. Um, doesn't want to be violent, and then gets into a confrontation with his wife, who pulls out a knife. Um, and she says something like, "I can't look at you. I'm disgusted by you." And he keeps trying to get her to say that she loves him. Yeah, and you have to wonder if this is like because she assumes he's cheated on her maybe he's cheated on her like with a man like there's just a lot hanging in the air and a lot of it open to interpretation but i can't get away from the idea that like she she knows sort of assumes or knows that he's and like they've they've maintained like a steady piece she's also clearly much younger than he is um and there's a joke here about getting your bahama underwear (laughs) that john cassavetes or peter falk made that's in the train ride afterwards i believe right it? it's well what i have it yeah that is but it's just there, there's this feeling that not Google there's that. a feeling that they're poking fun at him for things that are unclear um anyway like an inside joke inside joke or like but see i tried to like look is this some kind of i don't know I, got, I became very obsessed with harry as the like the guy who there's something very wrong in this guy the way that this guy has chosen to live his life well he's also and we, we discussed this the first time i we um that i saw this and i guess at first i was I, I, the first time I saw this, it was more uh, taken in by Fox uh, performance. I mean, he's incredible. he's incredible. We should say but that they're all they're all incredible. And throughout, even with the second half of the film, um, I think it's Ben Gazzara's performance in this and Killing of a Chinese Book. You're like two of the best. No, Gazzara, every time Gazzara's on the screen, he's, he's absolutely just, amazing, and he's so in it and he's so present. Um, so this is when they decide to go to London, and this is when the film just for me at least kind of goes south. So let's pause here because. It's worth taking through the motions. He goes back. Uh, Gazzara goes outside, w- attending to go to work, sees Cassavetes, sees Falk, has this moment of tenderness, walks back inside, sees his wife, tries to get her to say she loves him. Um, she doesn't say it or she's disgusted by him. He goes upstairs, gets his passport and then comes back downstairs and sort of tries to like make out with his wife who yeah. pushes his, um, him away, which results in this like really scene. violent scene yeah. she pulls a knife he hits her he hits both the sh- of them he hits the mother his mother-in-law and his wife and it's re- i mean that's that you feel a moment of like real the move film really sinks yeah and it, 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 it what scene. what up till that point had been bearable and in times quite funny it um and this if there's this isn't the didactic moment in the film for me but there's a didactic there's a quality to this where it, it really becomes unacceptable. And it not only becomes unacceptable for the audience, but it becomes unacceptable for Cassavetes and Falk who come in and like pull him pull out him of the away. house. Um, and I, I think that, you know, they're sort of like, yeah, don't let your lady tell you what to do is one thing. 
very problematic. But the next step is the like, of course, yeah, to, to your have domestic that abuser. Violence. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it goes on for a while, and it's he he he, he like chokes his mother-in-law. He hits them. Um, it's it's a really the, the the cuts of it are really terrible um, to watch, and it sets the movie on this new trajectory. Um, I'm pretty sure he would have killed them if if uh, Cassavetes and Falk don't show up. Like it's that level of kind of like terror and and rage and yeah, it's it's bad. And he's like climbing up the stairs trying to get to. And get if, to them if it all seems to come from this repressed alienated life that this guy is living which feels incredibly timely for the time when this this film was made 1970 you mean in the sense that it's kind of progressive progressive in this uh, like of its critique of how terrible suburban domesticity can be yeah and i also think like a guy like this is never going to be subject to any repercussions any repercussions because of his privilege and who he is yeah i, I mean Again, it's interesting that Cassavetes chooses chooses to, in his early film, kind of highlight uh, a racial struggle and an artistic struggle. And from Faces On, at least for these two films, there's a kind of like the plight of the middle to upper class businessman kind the, of yeah. the plight, the right? Plight. The plight. But that seems to be one t- way to look at it. If you read these movies seriously, Correct. there's a l- he has sympathy for them, but I don't. There's something else going on. He does have no. He does have sympathy for them, and it's really interesting because there is this kind of sense in which he's very, very uh, up for critiquing. For example, again, these um, like traditional roles, um, but in in other kind of ways, he's really much about championing, uh, being a champion for other forms of like traditional masculinity, like the great uh, like male genius artist, for example. So, so do you think he's championing the idea of the like the male genius? Yes, artist. Right. But in other ways, he's totally down for kind of showing or suggesting that hey, if you're a businessman, your life is fucking shit. Why? Right. Because you're just about making a deal, or it's just all about business, and it's totally you're totally co-opted. You've totally sold out. You have no soul. I think it goes deeper than he that. Says that though. Also in the, he says that also in one of the interviews where he's in, in on Casabetti's on Casabetti's. I think he says kind of like, oh, well, what do you do? You find yourself, you're in middle age, you have your, you have the wife, you have the house, you have the kids, you have the car, you have the garages, but it's all And this comes back to a choice between life, death, and freedom. Correct. Um, and, the, and the challenges, of, uh, or the challenges, or what that means for Which the film. Which sounds like such a kind of existentialist it feels kind of a little. It feels a little dated. It, no, it does. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying of its time. And again, this is why, again, I have an issue with the Carney book, because that kind of tradition, which he's clearly borrowing from, at least in my eyes, or, um, is just not being discussed in that book as much as I think it should be. Is he... Do you... So, okay. And, uh, this, and I should also be fair to this book, because I didn't read the entirety of it. I only read about maybe 100 pages from it. It's a lot of pages it's of that lot, book. It's a lot of pages. Um, so let's let's move quickly through the next few scenes. They, they get go on to a tr- London. They get on a train, go on train to go into the city. Uh, Cassavetes and Falk stink. And this is an interesting moment because Gazzara points it, out Gazzara points it over, but also you can see Gazzara having some regrets. He's really irritated. He's angry. He's sort of set himself free, like he's not going back to his wife well, in any conventional too, scene. When he has he has that that scene, that crushing yeah. scene with the woman, where he says that like my heart's breaking. Yeah, and I feel so disloyal. Um, and then we go to the dentist office, and we have uh, this is kind of a funny scene. <laughs> yeah, John Cassavetes with this woman uh, again, one of the only female characters in the film that's not a sex object and for the men hysterical. and she's hysterical and it's 
it's kind of, I mean, to be honest, it's funny, but it's also really stupid. And it feels really um, unnecessary to have this woman who's like, oh, I'm really scared of, of the dentist. Well, the, and the fun- and Falk is stalking around trying to talk to w- Cassavetti. Which is what I found, that was the funniest part of the scene, where Falk is in... <laughs> The dentist, like right next to the dentist chair Mm -hmm. while Gus is trying to do something and he's just kind of like sitting there chilling. And if like I was in this chair, I'd be like, can that guy get the fuck out of here? Um, Yeah, it's just a weird scene. And also it's one of the few scenes from Cassavetes where I think he takes the easy way out. He ends the scene without having having him deal with how to just walk out of the room because he just leaves. He eventually just, it cuts away before we know how he deals with this hysterical woman. Like he clearly wants out. Um, it's very strange. It's not, it's not a, it's, it's one of the first indications that I think the movie loses a thread a little bit. Um, well, it could it's one of those scenes that just could have been cut. Right. Which, I mean, there's an, imp- and it's also a, I don't know if it's an issue, but there's a, there's a question of point of view in this film. Um, because up to now it feels like it's been about Harry. Harry's really, irritated and upset on the train they get to the city they're fighting they're arguing it feels like a split and falk goes with cassavetes um and we don't see gazara for a scene and and there's yeah this crazy well, dentist but that's scene. interesting because it, it often is again like the two of them falk cassavetes and gazara not obviously that he's not part of the dynamic but that he is kind of on the margin so again there's a scene at the very beginning of the funeral where the, oh, it's only the two of them walking there's the scene, the bathroom right. scene, two of them walking. And I think that obviously kind of like prefigures what happens later at the end of the film where Harry gets left behind. Right. And Falk and Cassavetes return to their domestic hells. So they go to London. Right. They're in London. Um, get on this really plane. quick, really quick. Yes, please. We have a scene at Ben Gazzara's office. Yeah. And there's That's Fred Draper is there. Fred Draper is there. Fred Draper from Faces is there. His real name is actually Fred Draper. But there's also this guy who's like, Harry, it's so good to see you. That that and that guy, I, there's something, because I was reading the film through this lens of like, Carrie is a repressed gay man. There's something about the way that guy's like, remember the good times we had oh, together? And it's like, is this guy supposed to be John Cassavetti's like two-dimensional portrayal of a gay man? Like, uh-huh. there's something about the way that this sort of strangely dressed yeah. Elton John sunglasses wearing kind of guy. Like again, I don't want to much older too. I don't want to tread in the stereotype, but like, well, but Cassavetti's might be trending. That's that's my thing is that I think he's like, he's playing with that a little bit. There's also this beautiful shot. Did you notice that beautiful shot where like Gazar's in the, in the foreground of his office and it's just like two, two or three seconds. Uh, sorry, in the background, in the foreground, there's a picture of his, what you assume is his son. That's yes. like the position of his desk. And it's just kind of like, like beautiful moments and it's a really kind of powerful juxtaposition. And you do not meet Ben Gazzara's kids. You don't. The only kids you meet are the Cassavetti's kids. kids. The fucking punk Nick. <laughs> His real son, Nick. I wanted to punch Later that a director ah, and that's right, yeah, the yeah. S- one of the stars of John Woo's Face Off. Shit. He's Dietrich, he the bald guy. Who, he who plays one of the uh, goons, right? He plays one of the goons. Nick Cassavetti's also directed in John Q, the Denzel Washington movie, oh. and a few other. She's so lovely. I mean, which I was based on a John Cassavetti. Yeah, why, why the fuck did I surprise? I knew I knew he was a director. They're all directors. Yeah. All but his kids are directors. Z- uh, Zoe Cassavetti's. So this is our opportunity to just now talk about Face Off, right? So oh. Face Off open on. <laughs> um, so we doves. <laughs> yeah, we open on a carousel. And uh, a mustachioed Nicolas Cage. Not uh, a film the, about toxic masculinity. The only kind of, uh, basically, the only, I mean, not the only kind of Nick Cage, but my favorite version of Nick Cage, the mustachioed. Have you seen Mandy? I have not, no. Fucking amazing. You said it's amazing. It's great. Um, so they go to London. 
They go to London, and this is Check into a, a hotel room. I think we're going to need another re-up on, on drinks, and because this is, where, this is where... This is where, actually, they also take a nap. They where, take a nap. Where they, they probably, at this point, have been up for at least 72 hours, and I'm like, where... They buy a ticket. They fly to London. There's some buyer's remorse on the plane. And he says something, Kazar says, like, what's it to worry about in the middle of the Atlantic? What are you worried about? Also, there's a scene where Cassavetes, before they leave for London, calls his wife and says, like, it's your golden Greek. I need you to get me and Peter Falk's passports. And, for his, and they get that them. he calls himself his golden Greek. He calls himself, yeah. Can he please call me that? Yeah, you're, uh, yes, golden Greek. Thank you. Um, and it's working. All of a sudden, we're in London. And um, originally, the screenplay had them going to five different cities. The original version was like cl- London, Rome, oh. Amsterdam, all these different places. But I think budgetarily they can only afford one. And they seem to shoot the movie in the rainiest goddamn... Like, there are sprinklers off camera just pouring, pouring rain. It's got to be fake. It is fake. Well, did, there's this really interesting... It's only two or three minutes. Interesting clip of uh, Cassavetes directing, uh, I believe, uh, Elaine Cow. Or uh, probably mispronouncing her name. But he... Oh. It's it's obviously uh, it's not raining, but he says to her like, "Oh, it's gonna be raining." So this is what I want yeah, you to do. You're gonna be right. walking towards the cab. It's gonna be raining. I want you to just kind of like talk, and it's it's right, d- right, 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 right. It's kind of directing her. Um. So we get there, and they go to a hotel, and they get three adjoining rooms, adjacent rooms, and then they go gamble. And for me, this is where this movie, the gambling scenes are great, but this movie really starts to. Um, go down go downhill um, we have the film playing in the background and we're looking at an earlier moment um, is this because of your rational hatred of the English so like ah, oh you know me uh, 1776 bro just kept um, texting me during the World Cup. You're like, when are they going to lose? When are they going to lose? This is awful. Why haven't they lost? I hate them. It's a goddamn Wayne Rooney. Um, so, I don't was, know who that is. Who I realized um, it wasn't on this year's World Cup team, but still. You're spe- you might as well be speaking Greek. Um, Stop tweeting. It's all Greek to me. So they're a giggle gamble. They they gamble. They have this really great scene where where Cassavetes keeps throwing uh, dice and winning, and then all of a sudden he just throws the wrong dice, and like everyone gets kind of like, and they each meet a woman and have moderate to uh, le- uh, fail f- success to failure with them. Uh, ben Gazzara becomes infatuated with a woman that I think might be Adele's mom. She looks just like Adele. It's crazy how much <laughs> she looks like to- Adele. You're totally it's right. crazy. Yeah. Um, Archie, uh, a p- in a scene that is both truly horrifying and absolutely hilarious, he approaches this older woman, Archie, and he's like, it, it's hey, a very, hey, I... Um, well, there's two older women that he approaches. The first one, absolutely no... Right? There's no success. And then the yeah, there's a woman. woman they're like, she's like, leave me alone. And then there's this other woman who's much older who's like... Sort of looks like a, she a she's pimp? a Renaissance painting kind. Of, I don't know what's going on, and he's like, "I'm looking for a lady," yeah. and it's it feels at the beginning of the scene like he's joking around, like he's not being super serious with her, and she takes him at his word totally. and is like, "Yeah, dude, I'm in," <laughs> and like you but don't know. There's it's all shot in these crazy close-ups, so you don't he, really know like what. It's, going well, what's on. fascinating because the camera's entirely on her. You don't see him during this for scene. a big chunk of the scene. Yeah, and. I think he loses his nerve and like becomes very uncomfortable because she grabs his hand and won't let go of it. Well, because then he keeps saying things like, I'm going to lose my mind if you don't like it. And she's like totally down for it. Yeah, it's really. I wrote down, like, what is Peter Falk doing here? 
<laughs> it's they and then and then there's also like she's like smacking her lips in a really uncomfortable yeah, it's way. It's real, and she's a, I mean she's an a, 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 you know to be she's kind of a strange looking woman. She is, but don't so, you? Yeah, d- this scene. I mean, this scene is just saturated with misogyny, though. Yeah, it in, in sense, both like, both this this woman's both from the character being, and like, maybe from and also from the director. Well, she's presented as being like totally and utterly grotesque. Yeah, um, and the le- and the the f- yeah, it's it's a gross scene. So I mean, and obviously that uh, that nothing happens, nothing comes, but comes of that scene. Not to say that it isn't misogynistic at all, but the power dynamic. Again, this is that interesting thing where Cassavetes is maybe being gross, but also like that woman wins that scene, which is really yeah. interesting. Well, this she is kind of maybe she's trying to humiliate yeah. Peter Falk. That could be what it is, but, but it doesn't read that way. And especially at the end, she seems utterly rejected when he finally gets away from her. But that's her. also why I asked if she's a pimp because she says to him like, "Oh, I could get you girls. What do you?" That's and he's right. Like, I don't want girls. He's like, "Do you want boys?" And he's like, "I don't want boys." And so I was like, it, you know, like, what's going on? Also, I feel like there. Peter Falk spends the sole second half of this film floundering. Doesn't really know what he's doing. As a character. As a character. Not as an actor, he's Nails great it. throughout. It's no Columbo, but it'll do. Oh, I mean, what's Columbo? Um, and then, the only thing that's Columbo is fucking Johnny Staccato. Um, and then... Tell me Johnny Staccato again. And then the all the we we, uh, uh, we cut back. Sorry, to the I lost my because I was looking at my notes. It's all good. They got back. So was, and John Cassavetes has brought home a a, a, a lovely English bird. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely English. Lovely bird. English bird. Ben Gazzara has is with the Adele looking lady. Adele looking lady. And um, Peter Falk has brought home with Julie. Huh? Her name's Julie. Which one? Uh, the the woman that Peter Falk brings. Oh, home? this woman Julie, yeah. right? Who seems much younger and much uncomfortable. Younger. Um, they they go back to the hotel. All these women, uh, they're in Peter Falk's room. John Cassavetes, uh, man, to be in London in the seventies and have to deal with food, he orders a bottle of scotch, shrimp cocktail, endive salads. I, b- I thought it was pronounced endive. Endive, whatever. It's all disgusting. No, but you're right. I think he says endive. I think he does too. And lots of ice. Bring up lots and of ice. Ben, and they're laying there and they don't know what to do. And Ben Gazzara starts to cry. Yeah, and then and Adele takes him away. Takes him away. And then, oh, so she first gives him a massage and then he says something oh. that totally kills him. He's like, oh, my wife used to do that for me. And she's like, this is terrible. Exactly. Um, And then they all kind of separate and they all go into their different rooms and they all have terrible, terrible. Uh, encounters with all three of these uh, women. Yeah, there's a. Are hooking up there with. might be a scene that's even more troubling than the domestic abuse scene between John Cassavetes and um, Mary. Mary, he continue. They lay on the bed, and he will not let her get up. He will not get off of her. It's right. shot in a painful close up. Yeah. So they're fight. So basically, what happens? Are they fighting? Well, that's the thing. They're like wrestling, and at times the scene is shot in such a way where she seems to be totally in on it because she's like laughing with him yeah. and kind of like enjoying herself. But then there are other moments where she's like, "Get the fuck off." me like what are you doing yeah. like, don't t- don't touch me don't kiss me it's a really really disturbing scene and then it's kind of that way also i totally forgot about this but um at some point it because it's filmed like entirely well it's kind of like filmed from her perspective not pov but yeah um she's where, the dominant where, figure in the where she's like where she's like thrown over on the side of the bed and he's yeah. supposed to be kind of like on top of her and the screen goes almost entirely black, black. yeah it's actually a strange it's a strange it's also basically scene. one take which I mean, speaks to a lot of this. It's a very disturbing scene. It's very long. It's actually in so. Damn it's probably long. five six minutes of and uncut. It, and it's to me, it's the most disturbing scene. It's in really the film. troubling, and it also because up to this point, and this is maybe what makes this film a success. 
I think that opti- optimistically, you want to look for the good things about these guys, and you're really able to discover a lot of it in Cassavetti's character. He's kind of the most level-headed, and he's kind of the leader. And he's really disgusting in this scene. Yeah. In this scene. And actually, I went to see this movie at when I saw it at BAM, and it was like a Friday afternoon at like 4. It was an early screening, and um, there were three walkouts. During the scene? During the movie. And I think two of the walkouts was, was a pair of people. And interestingly, all the walkouts were women, and they were all people of color. Uh, all the white uh, dudes hung like, around. Totally, yeah. And I, it, it's, it's, I mean, whether that I, means anything or not. I seriously considered uh, fast-forwarding the scene the second really? time. Yeah, because I remember seeing it the first time. I was like, what the, like, why? Like, yeah. The scene is so fucking long. It might be the least... I don't know. I, I This is one of these moments where I really, really that give birth to what I think are like my why I want to look at these films, because I don't think that scene has anything to do except be psychologically terrible and painful. And there's nothing masterful about it. There's nothing cinematic about it, except that it might be a long take. But like that's that's placing aesthetics above content it's and a, but there are it's cuts it's not a single take no but if i mean it, it's 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 designed, it's designed to feel, to feel long oh no yeah and not i think there's something experiential about the way he makes movies as opposed to like you don't get the point and move on he kind of like harps on things and sp- and maximize he's a maximalist in that sense that he just keeps digging into things deeper and deeper and deeper to some degree and it in the sense that he wants you to feel one thing and it's really exhausting, and I understand why people walk out of this movie. Although I will say this also, there is this interesting, again, um, exchange of dialogue in this scene, which, again, sorry to harp on this, sounds like it's straight out of Beckett, where I think she says, I can't go on anymore, and he says, so he says, then don't go on anymore, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, oh, interesting. sounds exactly, obviously, like Beckett. That's a very Beckett thing. The other interesting thing about this scene, in terms of its length, it's, is that it's the longest scene of the three of them with these three women. Yeah, the next one is Peter Falk and Julie. Julie and well, hold on. Also, you can't. I mean, don't tell I'm me sorry. to hold on. <laughs> Just kidding. Continue. This is also where I was thinking. Again, I don't know who in their right mind can watch that scene and think, "Oh, these are just guys having a good." Time. You know what I mean? Like these scenes are, especially this scene and then the Falk scene with Julie, which is awful. Yeah another awful scene i don't see how these scenes can't be seen in any other way than just indictments on these dudes yeah Gazara's scene is the is the is the the chillest scene because obviously nothing happens it seems like it's post and they're it's kind of unshaped they're unshaped they don't feel this is one of these like terrible indulgences and when i bristle when people are like he's such a genius because I don't know. I mean, these films are heavily, very heavily scripted, and he spent a lot of time with these guys writing the parts for them. Like, the whole idea was they would improvise and then write and improvise and write. So, like, there's a lot baked into the personality. The characters are really very strongly drawn from the characters. But, yeah, it just, it really, maybe this is the point, but if the point is to make me feel uncomfortable and challenged by this, it works. But then what's the point? Like, uh, in the sense that, like, it's not that I shouldn't feel those things, but like I wonder if he has anything larger to say about this like terrible toxic masculinity than just like, hey, isn't this masculinely terrible? Not a, not a wrong thing to say, 
but like it feels kind of raw in a way that doesn't I don't know. I find it challenging because I feel like it's it a little is. unshaped and I don't know how I'm meant to feel beyond disgusted. And it's good to feel disgusted by disgusting behavior. But what does that do for the goals of the film, if there are any? Well, so what makes the Fox scene also awful is not only is it misogynistic, but it's racist. So Julie is Asian. She doesn't, she, it seems like she doesn't speak English. Yeah. And then he basically in the scene berates her. Well, so they start kissing. Um, and then at some point he like doesn't like the way she's kissing him. Right. It's like you suck wind. What are you doing? You're sucking like I, which yeah. I don't understand. And she's crying. So there's like these thirty seconds of them passionately kissing each other, and the close up here is actually really fascinating. I think it's like yeah. a, it's actually well shot. And then at some point something obviously unseen or that you can't tell happens. Who the hell knows if anything actually ever happens? Which is like fuck. Did she push him away? I thought he pushes her. Yeah, it, there's it, something. It's, it's shot in such an intense close-up that you can't tell. But basically, they separate, and he starts yelling at her and berating her. And, and she starts the, crying. And one of the things that he berates her for is for being an Asian woman and not yeah. speaking English. Um, so this scene is also You can say awful. anything. He says something like, you just say something. Just say just something, look. yeah. Um, and then we cut to is what I think is the most sort of uplifting, <laughs> weird scene in the film, which is Gazara chatting with... Um, Adele. Adele looking. Uh, what's her name? Do we know her character? I don't know if we ever learned her character. But they're ta- he's talking about his wife. And he keeps talking about his wife in the second half of this film. He's like, I feel so damn disloyal. Yeah, he says, I My feel heart's disloyal. Breaking. My heart's breaking. And he's crying. Or he's very emotional. And it's like a 45-second scene. It might be the shortest scene in the film. And then we cut right, which is right like, to which a again, new scene with Cassavetes. Which is what, again, what's really fascinating about these three scenes is I th- that he gets the... Uh, the very short scene and, well, it's, and it's obviously n- not disturbing or not disturbing in the same way that the other two scenes are and the next scene is pretty disturbing too because we cut to the a breakfast. scene we they go to a place called the soup kitchen this is cassavetes and mary, mary go to a soup yeah. kitchen place and um they have sort of this so confrontational s- hmm? stupid question the we were supposed to assume they had sex yeah, and they're still together, and it's maybe the next day or something. Next morning, next yeah, that's morning. what it feels like. And um, he, they're, they're, they go to this place, and they order coffee, and then they just argue. And I'm not really sure what they're arguing about. Correct. Except that they seem to, be lo- they seem to love and be annoyed by each other at the at exact the same, time. same time. Well, he says something like, I like aggressive women, and then she gets mad at him or something, and then yeah. she complains about his little white hands. Um, also worth noting, um, sort of an extra outside of the the, th- the film, but like, how old do you think this actress is? I would guess in her late 20s. She's 24. Wow. Yeah. She looks really young. She looks young. These women um, are definitely age. <laughs> they're also, also, they're far too young. I also wrote a note about this. I was like, these guys are definitely punching above their weight class. In yeah. the sense of like the attractiveness of these women. Swarthy men. Yeah. Like, all three of them, these women are like beautiful. And I mean, Casabetti is a good looking guy, but like. Ben Gazzara, don't you speak ill? You think I'm, you oh, I think Ben Gazzara is incredibly handsome. But I have I, a I have a Ben Gazzara crush. You have a crush, yeah. I think he's amazing. But yeah, there there's I mean, he's charismatic, but yeah. I do you think there's a subtextual like these are all guys who like I don't know, like Cassavetes we've started to notice seems to refer to his Greek heritage a lot more than we in, I originally thought. Um, ben Gazzara, like uh, it's Italian guy. Like, there's a certain quality of them kind of being this like first or second generation. These white ethnic, white ethnic guys, and I, I think that there's not really brought up in the film, but that's definitely an element. It's of, a subtext, it's, yeah. It's in yeah, the air. It's definitely there. I don't know what Falk's ancestry is, but he's 
could be Italian. He could be. I don't know. But it's interesting. Um, yeah, really, I, I'm having I've trouble. Wings of Desire. He's an angel, man. Yeah, I'm. He's a total angel. I'm having trouble. Um, really, even kind of contextualizing these late scenes because they just seem to be the kind of typical some like the worst thing people call the Cassavetes movies are actor exercises and there's a quality to them of being like then you are good and then you do this and then you know what i mean and it doesn't really add up to much it it fits into the context i think it's it's kind of it's it's building it's almost like a logical kind of conclusion like well what are these guys that are having midlife crises gonna do they're gonna go out like carousing and look for women right and be sort of terrible it's just awful the way it it's presented and, and you know filmed right which is probably appropriate. So then they have this, yeah, this awkward uh, com- uh, conversation. Soup kitchen conversation. And then, and then there's the scene with Falk and Julie. Where they're out in the rain. The and rain. she's trying to leave. Yeah, he's trying to get her a cab or something. Yeah, um, and um, there's this, like, terrible ADR recording. Like, the they clearly didn't get the sound they needed. And it's just a very strange scene in that regard. Yeah. Soaking wet. And then she gets in the cab. She does. She or you don't see her in the cab, do you? She does uh, leave, though. Yeah, she leaves. And this is kind of a moment where Cassavetti's relationship with this young woman doesn't really go anywhere. Obviously, Falk's relationship with Julie doesn't go anywhere. And we're left with those two guys kind of alone, kind of sobering up in a sense, realizing that, like, this escapade to London, which was originally going to just be them putting him in a hotel room and coming back, coming back. has led them very far astray and i think that this is a moment this is the moment where they kind of go what the fuck have we done why are we here and they decide to come back and this to me this is that didactic scene because there's this bit where explaining what they're back in the room all of the falcon cassavetes all of the furniture from gazara's room has been moved into their room and it's very and it's never explained there's a lot that's unexplained and Cassavetti starts counting their children and their cars it like there's five and their kids garages. The we have five kids, four garages. And like it feels clunkily didactic in the sense that like let's weigh our freedom versus our versus the, the fruits of our labor. Kind of like I, we own these beautiful houses in Port Washington and we have families and like. Or the response. But don't you think it's also kind of like a sense of, oh, we're kind of responsible Sure, if you want to claim that that there's a responsibility that these guys or that these surely the surely they have responsibilities. Are they responsible people? No, is an entirely different a, yeah. question. Which is also kind of like, was there ever a time in history where like a person's husband could disappear for four or five days and then just come back? And obviously, Nick at the very end says like, "Oh, you're in trouble. Mom's really pissed at you." But like, how does that how does that marriage not end right then and there? It's a good question. Um, I mean, well, one marriage does end because Ben Gazzara. Our final scene with Ben Gazzara coming back uh, to, to, to old Benny. Uh, Falk and Cassavetes go into his hotel room. He's there with three women. New women. New women. Adele's gone. And they're just kind of singing and having a good time. And it's very, very clear that Peter back. Falk ain't coming back. Ben Gazzara. And I feel like these scenes just feel a little shapeless and amorphous to me. I don't really... I can't, I can't like honestly say to you this is what i remember like them talking about or whatever the case might be yeah and then they leave cassavetes and falk leave see them again on the plane i don't remember what the exchange is like on the plane but uh they're drinking pretty heavily (laughs) shocking yeah no i think falk has two whiskeys in like the period of two minutes and then they get back home right 
Um, and it does it. This is actually kind of like uh, an interesting scene too. So they're they're back home. They're back in Port Washington. They have these they have huge bags of bags toys that they bought toys. at LaGuardia or JFK, JFK or wherever they flew into. They buy all the gifts at the airport. And like Cassavetes keeps asking him, like, "What are we gonna do without him? What are we gonna do without him?" And Fox is just, "What are we gonna do without Gazara?" Yeah. And and Gazara is like you have your orange oh, no, thing. No, you, oh, no, sorry. What, what's he gonna do without us? Yeah. What? Yeah. It, what? So what, basically, the the line us? is, what is Ben Gazara gonna do without John Cassavetes and yeah, Peter, Peter Falk? Falk? And Falk is like, you got your orange thing. Yeah. You got this toy. You got, you you got, got that hats? toy. You, you got, got three, three hats. hats. You got all this stuff. And it's an interesting kind of wrap up because throughout Falk seems like the character with the least amount of confidence in anything that he does. Gazara starts the film sort of like as the responsible one and obviously ends the film in a very different, well, he's cut off ties. So maybe there's a responsibility in being like, I can't be in this sham marriage anymore or whatever. And cause, and the, it's interesting that the film ends with Cassavetes returning with bags of gifts and his little Both daughter who cries when she sees yeah. him and it's heartbreaking. And then Nick, Nick, n- actual Nick, Nick, Nick Cassavetes is like, dad, where you been, dad? You're and I wrote down dad. like, of course he has a shitty kid. He's like, hey, mom. Mom, dad's dad, back. You're in trouble, dad. And then he's like, mom, hurry up. And you're like, who is this kid? And Cassavetes hugs his little daughter. who's so cute. And then he hugs or he shakes, he shakes Nick's hand like a manly shake. Oh, man. And then he hands Nick the bag and they walk around the corners of the back of the house. The end. And the end. And that's the end of this monster of a movie. Uh, It's a long, it's two hours and 10 minutes. It might be shorter than Faces. It is, I think it is shorter than Faces. I thought she, uh, Faces is the longest movie ever made. (laughs) Faces is still on. So this is. Yeah, so again, this film, man. I mean, like, the first hour is just Astonishing. amazing. And then well, because it hues closer to, like, a clearer narrative, which, wev- not a not a, not a paint-by-number narrative, but, like, a narrative rooted in character. And then it feels like in the second half, too, it's just kind of like... I don't feel like it's formless in the second half, to be honest with you. I just feel no. like it's really disturbing and... <laughs> And disturbing in a disturbing way. Yeah, it is. Maybe it's and not that, formless, and that's why I wasn't looking forward to maybe the second half too. I thought, like, you no, know, I think you're right. I mean, maybe as- aesthetically, also formally, it does drag in certain ways, and it. But I, I would also maybe argue that that's kind of the point that it kind of is supposed to end in these really dead end sort of ways, because so again, it re- represents kind of the fact that there's no, there's kind of like no hope for these two guys. So let me ask you though, like, the. Th- this kind of comes back to the root of this whole thing, which is like, it's not formless. It's an aesthetic. There's aesthetic decisions going on. Correct. Um, uh, there seems to be a real cultural decision to like call the work that he does genius all the time. But what is I think what is m- the value of the second hour of this film? I think there are moments of genius throughout this film, even in the second half. But w- yeah, but, but why why is it genius? Uh, like what get makes it genius well the is, is the, is the, and like the astute psychological observations the and i think also when it, it is critiquing again how um the banality of domestic life i think that's yeah. also kind of like inside i think by now obviously it's been done to death and it seems right. like an easy critique but i think that the fact that this film is over 40 years old yeah um and when it was done i think you know there's something kind of powerful about that yeah no i think so too and the fact that again like even even like that it's not didactic that these characters are both 
really sympathetic and also horrible human beings. Yes, that's true. But there's a didacticism to that scene where they're sort of counting their shit. Like, I don't know, like... Uh, I think that's fair. In the, in the sense that, like, these are guys who aren't really going to get have to deal with a lot of their 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 struggles in life are entirely existential in this and in, 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 and they have the luxury to have existential crises right. which i think is really totally is that. the film self-aware of that i that it's kind of masturbatory yeah um i don't know yeah that's a good point i don't know if it's if it's that self-aware i i would i, I think, think I, we I, would all like it to be really self-aware i think it's supposed to take their trials and tribulations seriously which like feel bad for them because they have been so crushed do you, by these institutions. So I think as guys commenting on the film, uh, I think it's guys commenting guys, on films. Welcome to guys commenting on films. I gotta ask, like, do we, do we, do we take it seriously? And do also we? now, do, do we take what? Do we take their trials and tribulations no. seriously? Okay, I don't think fuck so either. But secondly, <laughs> uh, fuck them. Um, secondly, should anybody else? The last people you should feel bad for are like dentists making six figures. Right, 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 right. And like Wilf can get go on benders for six days and suffer no consequence. Like, d- yeah, exactly. Do you right. know how difficult it is having a beautiful house and a beautiful wife oh, and beautiful sucks. kids? Although, I mean, Nick, I mean, he's kind of a bro. I hate that kid. Um, would you ever show this movie to anyone? Would I show Would you show this movie to your partner? Would I show? Uh, I don't. Like, hey, let's sit down and have a good night yeah. and watch, yeah. watch Husband. I don't think I would. Can we just talk about I Ro- wouldn't. Can we just talk about Rosetta by the Dardan brothers, which is the Can we focus, please? Can we focus? On the Johnny Staccato scale, I give this three out of five. Three staccatos. out of five staccatos. I give it three point two staccatos. So I oh, give it man, like you're doing the point two. I give I no, I give half. it like a three four. I don't know, maybe a three. Maybe before the, I tell you this, before I rewatched it, I probably would give it a four and four or five. Now I'm sort of in the three zone. This I'm more repulsed by this movie and not just because the subject matter is repulsive than I was before it, we watched it. It definitely makes you feel like you've been on a bender. Yeah. And it also just like, fuck you guys. Fuck these guys. <laughs> and also like there are ways to there have are existential crises that don't take you down these roads. There are also better, more modern. And this is not at all the fault of John Cassavetes. But like, why are we still referring to this movie as or or why would you know what I mean? Like like why are me and you why no but like i just feel like there's a real and this might make it powerful and i'm rambling a little bit but like there's a there's the film as a as a powerful statement on masculinity and toxic masculinity and then there's the fact that it just traffics in toxic toxic masculinity for two hours and like i'm exhausted by it i'm exhausted by the maybe the ambiguity of like does the movie like I'm? I'm exhausted by John Cassavetes at, at this point. His kind of like lack of got commentary. Like five more films to go. Yeah, and they and I think from here they get more new. There's a little more. There's a little more going on. There's a little more nuance to some of these later. Maybe more filmmaker nuance in some but of these. It later is also films. interesting to don't at me to compare this film. Cassavetes lovers. <laughs> it is interesting. I'm gonna at you. It, it is interesting to compare these films to, uh, for example, like Mad Men. And kind of the yes. fact that, like, here we are, forty years later, and we're still kind of trafficking. I'd rather the same watch tropes. Mad Men. Well, Might be the title of my up this episode. Because well, you could, because well, those episodes are only forty five minutes. That's long. true. Yeah, but there's a million of them. There's like eighty episodes of that. And the, show. Per- the portrayal of uh, women on that is far more nuanced. Yeah, I guess this is no fault of the films, but I'm just exhausted by, by, this, maybe these two movies in a row, and like, I am, I am exhausted of, of the. Um, 
yeah of like upper middle class people uh, upper middle class white people having problems problems i'm also exhausted by um any of uh, any, anyone still thinking that this is all that important the, this particular film yeah or this subject fair. matter or the the sort of um I mean, yes, John. I I don't know. I I I feel like maybe. I think no. I mean, I think I'm just exhausted by how seriously we still take it. There's a difference between saying that these this director has made very important films, uh, which I think you could say, and then also obviously separate from the fact that there's a lot of problematic shit happening in these films. Right. So yeah, agreed. Yeah. So like, and there's there's uh, something I've noticed so far in all the Cassavetes films is that there's so many interesting moments and brilliant moments. Yeah. But that there's also just tedium a lot of crap a lot of crap, a lot of crap. um I mean, maybe that, should again, we leave it there <laughs> a lot of crap i'm kind of hoping mini mini and moskowitz provides a little bit of relief have we described um Cassavetes as a bro tour yet because oh that, you that that's her that's from definitely bro <laughs> hey guys what's up i'm a bro tour um and i don't be- don't use that in any sort of not ironic way all right. Well, I guess I guess we should wrap it up there. Thanks uh, so much for um, for listening. This has been a long one, but there's a lot to process with this. Yeah, with and this I didn't even film. really do my book report, but maybe next time. Actually, yeah, we we should we should talk a little bit. Let's go back. Let's let's right now because we, we well here's what we can do. So I give that book two point four Johnny Staccato's. <laughs> no, I think we should. I think we should. Um, yeah, maybe we save that for a bonus episode. Maybe it'd be good to make your book report a bonus episode. Maybe not. That sounds awful. But basically, what I'd want very quickly want to say is I feel like the tradition that that book is borrowing from, like the American pragmatist tradition, is just totally and completely not the tradition that these films are. Um, tell me more about American pragmatism. Uh, borrowing from, I wish I could tell you more about American pragmatism. I'm hmm, not. Sounds like maybe you're not. <laughs> if you were to so, s- okay, so here's what I want to say. So th- it, one of uh, very quickly, one of Carney's central arguments is that these films are very much about kind of like reconstituting the self or versions of the self. Sure. Um, and a certain kind of like reconstitution of the self that doesn't end in disintegration and i think all of these films so far are really really much about like disintegration not like a reintegration of the self or like a re kind of creation of the self but the falling apart the falling of the apart self. of the self so again for and we've had we disagreed on this but like the end of faces the couple walks away and you felt as if kind of this has happened plenty of times before and i felt like no i think this was kind of the I'm end coming of the around to your argument and this scene also or this scene this movie also i think is it's about the destruction of the bond that these three men who are clearly in love with one another have. At the beginning of the film, there's there's three. Well, it also begins with obviously the death of the fourth one. And it ends with now there just being two of them. And I didn't see and I didn't see any hope in Cassavetes' character returning home or Falk's character returning home. It's no, it's it, not very hopeful. Yeah, it struck, maybe for Falk. But it struck not me really. not as if kind of this was like these characters coming back home. Well, but the complete opposite. Like you I, can't come back home. I'm actually gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see. I'm gonna. I'm, I think I see your point, but I also think that if if you if you think about this through that lens of what they call the hero's journey, whatever, which is like a very the common Joseph Campbell. Yeah, but Joseph Campbell, the idea that a character returns literally home having changed and lost something. Um, there's an argument to be made that 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 in that context, the act of coming home is a kind of victory Re- because right, it's a renewal. It's a renewal, but it's also like they had they've sort of danced. This, 
they've sort of danced with um with um kind of that freedom that freedom of being untethered or on whatever uh again and the choice is still to go home and to become part of that you know what i mean so that that actually uh, you know the optimist in me thinks that's hopeful um Which and I, you, know, you know i mean i will say this with the carney what the carney book that's right is that these films are, are I, I think very uh modernistic in the sense that cassavetes is also obsessed uh with the thin line between art and love reality. and hate Oh, another a great art film. and reality. He is very he's in about yeah. He's about very much um, suggesting that there's something. I think um, I don't know. Like the, yeah, again, like there should be a thin line between art and reality. That they're one and the same. That the uh, aesthetic can be incorporated into kind of like daily life. So the, obviously, the fact that he's obsessed with these very kind of like banal everyday occurrences and events that to me strikes me as being very much kind of a modernist thing interesting who the fuck wants to listen to a podcast about modernism not this guy not this guy i think we leave it there uh i didn't even get to talk about the kierkegaard stuff well maybe next time god well you're george ragopoulos and you're liam billingham and this was uberbusters keep in touch um to face off that's faces off faces off oh my god (laughs) 